When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and today I'm joined by the Daily Mirror, Simon Bird. Plenty to talk about, Simon. First off, hope you had a happy Christmas and a good New Year. Not too bad, thank you, and you too, and the listeners. Yeah. Yes, yes, thank you to everyone who has tuned in over 2021. We do appreciate it. Hopefully we can bring you um, a bit of joy in this episode, although we're still waiting on more Newcastle United signings after the arrival of Kieran Trippier. And I'm sure you're tuning in because you want to know more about the transfer window and who Newcastle might potentially sign. And we will get onto that later in the show. But unfortunately, we have to talk about the weekend and that defeat to Cambridge in the FA Cup. For you, Simon, who's covered Newcastle United for a heck of a long time, where does it rank in terms of just how damaging and just how embarrassing, for maybe want of a better phrase, that result was? Yeah, well, there's two elements to it. It's it's kind of business as usual because we're used to this. And I think I looked it up in the last 16 years, they've been beyond the fourth round once. And it's it's basically a, Newcastle are a third and fourth round maximum team and then then they're gone. So it's kind of business as usual that. But I also put a tweet out on, on Saturday night saying, and I use the word possibly, possibly um, the most embarrassing FA Cup defeat, um, you know, in the history. And I'm, I'm aware that, you know, they lost to Brentford and, uh, sorry, they lost to um, Hereford uh, and Stevenage and Oxford and all those years ago. There's, there's a whole, people came back at me with a whole list of FA Cup disasters in the third and fourth round against lesser clubs um, and disagreed quite, a lot of people disagreeing quite strongly with that sentiment. But I did think it was quite embarrassing for the club in, in just in the terms of what they're, they're meant to be now. And I know they've not had time to sign lots of players, but this is a new regime, a fresh start. Um, Newcastle will want to be cup contenders under this regime. They're meant to be the richest club in the, in the world or potentially with the, with the most backing um, from their owners, the richest owners anyway. Uh, so in, in that context, and Newcastle ringing around everywhere to sign elite players around Europe, I, th- I thought it was hugely damaging. I mean, Cambridge are 41 places below Below, below Newcastle, 16th in League One. They hadn't won for th- uh, three games. So it, it was the first half, Newcastle, I thought, I don't know about you think, but I thought Newcastle played OK and had chances. And the keeper had a, had a world-class game. He was cracking Mitoff in goal. Second half, I thought they, they lost the plot. They lost confidence. The, everything sapped. You know, the, the stature that the, the, some of the players had just sapped out of them. By the, when they scored in the 56th minute. So I think there was a lack of character on display that last half hour. I think Eddie Howe will be concerned about it. He, he praised, he said he wasn't worried about their body language after the match, but I think it was probably behind closed doors in the dressing room. It was the opposite. Um, so yeah, I, I found it hugely disappointing. I, I thought they could have had a cup run this year. Because the contrast to what we saw against Manchester United and then what we saw in the second half against Cambridge it was, it was alarming because it, by the end of the game against Cambridge, I don't know whether the players were anticipating, you know, the reaction from the fans, which wasn't as bad as it could have been. You know, it wasn't as bad as it would have been under Mike Ashley or Steve Bruce or whoever had been in charge. 
maybe they were anticipating that full time. But by the end, they, a lot of the players just didn't seem that bothered. There was there was no effort to make any runs. It was going side to side. And of course, we had players heading straight down the tunnel, which really didn't please a lot of people. Alan Shearer mentioned it yesterday on BBC Breakfast. What What's your biggest concern from what you saw on Saturday? Uh, my biggest concern was that last half hour and the body language and people shaking their heads and looking disinterested and taking ridiculous wild pot shots. Um, Almiron had one that went for a throw-in, I think. Shah had one, which is, you know, the, the, the kind of coherence and ability to summon a spirit, which is kind of what they showed against Man United and, and a bit of togetherness and a bit of organisation and uh, and defiance just, just wasn't there at the weekend. And the one thing I do worry, and we'll talk about the transfer window later, but you do worry whether the players are reading this stuff. I know it's a concern for how and has been for months. They're reading about speculation, new players coming in, millions to spend, and they're just thinking, well, I'm not going to be part of this club or I'm going to get I'm going to get hoofed out at some point. Um, they, they were, they're looking to replace me. And you do wonder whether a little bit in that last half hour of that attitude has, has seeped in. It wasn't good enough, Maxi and others, running off the pitch and not not clapping the fans because that's what Eddie Howe wants to do. It's, it's really hard and really embarrassing to walk around a pitch clapping fans when you've lost a game to League One opponents. But you've got to, you've kind of got to swallow it because the one thing that like Newcastle fans, Newcastle players cannot hide behind now is the atmosphere. The fans have been unbelievable and um, so generous in their unswerving support in the last few weeks since the takeover happened. Uh, there's not that excuse anymore. There's not a poisonous negative attitude at all in that stadium. It just goes. It just went a bit quiet. That's all on Saturday, and it's it's on the players now. They've they've got they've got to they've got, they've got to show that kind of spirit that they had against Man U. It's weird that it slipped from doing well against Man U to doing really badly against Cambridge. Yeah, I mean the flags were waving at full time. Like you say, everyone was was or those who had remained were definitely kind of in support of the players. You mentioned there, Alan St Maximum. It was the first time I've really heard fans getting frustrated at the Frenchman, you know, and it was quite early on from where I was sitting in in the ground, and it it didn't take me by surprise, but it was just kind of a you kind of kind of you know stood up, and, oh okay, because they, they were getting frustrated at what some people were calling him his his dancing, you know, yeah. he's trying to take one extra man on when the pass was there, and then when he did pick the pass, it was just the wrong pass or it was going out or not to the target. And then when you were listening to uh, the phone-in on BBC Radio Newcastle afterwards, a lot of the calls were saying the same thing, that they were frustrated at St Maxman. Do you think there's some justification in that, in terms of sometimes he does do the wrong thing? Or do you think maybe, especially that game against Cambridge, he was meant to be the star man and he was maybe just a bit of a scapegoat for the result? Yeah, I mean, the first thing about Sam Aston is that he's, I mean, he is, their, he is their door opener. He's a tricky player. He's exciting. You've got to recognise the positives in him. But I think he's probably also quite a hard player to manage. I think other, other you know, people said that before he came to Newcastle. I think Steve Bruce said he needed lots of love and kind of gentle treatment to make him feel special. Um, and I think he wants to be the star man in a team. And I think he would probably thrive on that. But in a struggling team, and it was a day when Saturday was a day when none of his tricks came off. Everything he tried was didn't happen. He was doubled up on. They got a foot in, and sometimes he just like you know just tripped over the ball. And it, it was it, it, that's going to happen to, to attacking players, and it's going to be more obvious when it happens to an attacking player that a team is so reliant on. So give him a bit of leeway in that sense. 
Um, but he has to, you know, you can't just flounce off the pitch and run down the tunnel and, and be in a huff. He, you know, that's, an, that's a reaction I would probably have. It's a natural human gut reaction to get off the pitch and think this is all I'm getting out of this place when you've had a defeat like that. You've got to understand that that's a human reaction. But what Eddie Howe wants him to do is is front up and show a bit of bravery and, and clap the fans for what the fans have done, paying their money and, and being let down a bit. So, yeah, Max and Maxi's a bit of a worry. Um, they, you know, he, he was playing also in an unusual position. They started him off as a centre-forward and he's not really a, a, a down-the-middle focal point centre-forward. And that's what now Wilson has gone. That's what Newcastle are lacking. And then he was pushed out wide and Jacob Murphy came into the middle. And that kind of showed the... The, the worry that we've got about the club at the minute is that they, they haven't got a proven goal scorer, they haven't got a focal point up front, and that's what, fingers crossed, they're trying to address right now. Well, on that, because a lot of people were asking, was it not a chance to give Dylan Stevenson a go? Was it not a chance to even give Elliot Anderson, who's not an out-and-out striker, but he'd probably be better suited to that that role? Because, as you mentioned there, Sir Maxim started there, but straight away, within a few minutes, he was just kind of, gravitating out to, to the wide because he likes to do that or that free roll where he can run everywhere. Murphy was was the same. Do you think anyhow got the selection right in terms of the person he started up front? Well, I mean, it's worked I think it's worked in the past. They've, they played split strikers um, under Graham Jones probably this time last year when they didn't have a focal point and the two strikers went wide-ish, sort of edge of the box, sort of like parallel with the, uh, the, the box lines. And that kind of works for two or three games until people rumbled it. So you can switch these things around and get benefits. But it was a day that you know just didn't work, and, and they, they need a focal point. Um, I think that there might there must be a way tactically of of not having a number nine and still and still causing teams problems without you know without having you know you, ha- you haven't got the long ball out. You haven't you know Kevin Trippier has been brought in for his crosses, but. They're not going to be, you know, benefited very much if if, if it's a maximum trying to head it in the middle. You need you need someone who's a specialist at that kind of thing, which is why they're they're focusing on the striker hunt this week. So yeah, that is a massive worry. It's 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 a real it's a real problem for how to solve. And I think he probably picked the best team. To, to his credit, he picked the best team he could, and he was serious about it. And he didn't, um, you know, kind of throw the cup down the drain and not bother about it like many managers have done under Ashley's orders in in the past. So. They, they, they are serious about the cup, but it just didn't come off. I, I guess in many ways, that's slightly more worrying that it was such a strong side. Because I was, I was pleasantly surprised at how strong he went. And the fact they still lost to, to Cambridge, as you say, you know, not doing too well down in League One. Their form wasn't up to much. They've come here, they've had a game plan, they've scored, and then they've, they've sat back. And they, they, they saw the game out quite comfortably as well, which is it was another alarming point because Newcastle didn't really test them until the last minute of the game when I think it was Joe Linton forced it, another excellent save from the goalkeeper. But aside from that, I thought they, they, they saw the game out with relative ease. Yeah, they did. They, they looked comfortable last half hour. I mean, I got to the 70th, 80th minute and you still think, well, look, Newcastle will pull something out. There'll be a break. Someone will lash a shot in from the edge of the area. You still didn't quite believe Cambridge would pull it off, but they, they showed a great organisation and there were some really physical lads in there, which is probably a contrast to what Newcastle are, are used to. And the keeper was was excellent. The, the centre forward, even like the centre forward who scored, Ironside, who Alan Shearer apparently called yesterday to congratulate, um, even he was, you know, really bustling and, and worked over the defence a little bit. So 
they they deserve a lot of credit. It wasn't like a it wasn't like a terrible terrible Newcastle performance for about an hour until Cambridge scored and then then they realised they were in a, a bit of in the muck really. So yeah, give credit to Cambridge, but I mean, how will be worried about that? And I think it's probably it's probably a really good thing that the the chairman of the club um, Yasser Al Ramayan was there to watch it. I think he probably turned up thinking, well, I'll, I'll come to my third game. I think it's his third game. And I'll probably see them win at last. So I think the idea was for him to enjoy an atmosphere where the club had actually won a game, and they end up losing it. And to have to be sitting up there as one of the most powerful men in Saudi Arabia, you know, leading their wealth fund, having made the decision to buy Newcastle as a source of pride for for Saudi Arabia and diversification in, around the world, and then to see them yet again not winning. It's. I mean, that must be quite a chastening thing for for a, such a powerful guy to see, and you, it could go either way. He could, he could, he could, you know, think this is a lot of rubbish. Why don't we buy Milan? Or, or he could think this lot need help. We 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 need to buy. We need to get get our act together. And I think it's probably they probably you know they've realised that they've got to spend now and they've got to spend maybe more than they should. It was also interesting when we saw them coming out, the, the, the Saudi guy, Stavely, her husband, coming out of the tunnel, we realised that they must have gone into the dressing room to give a little speech and that proved, we asked Eddie Howe about that after the game and that proved true it, they, and that's very unusual for a chairman so a chairman with, who's that powerful with about five bodyguards, terrifying looking bodyguards actually around, around him to traipse into the dressing room and uh, give a little pep talk to say we're going to help you uh, but you know you need to help yourselves as well. You know it, it's the players must have thought, oh my god, they are watching us and they're watching us carefully, and we we can't be slacking here. Certainly, I'd I'd, I'd put a couple of, couple of his bodyguards in the dressing room for a for a team talk before the next match. That might uh, spark them into life. What <laughs> <laughs> what did you then make of that? Because a lot of former footballers who got you know jobs with the BBC or Talk Sport have all kind of said similar things that. When owners go into the dressing room, maybe the likes of Jack Walker aside of Blackburn, you you expected him to be there because it was his club. You know, he built it up from nothing, kind of thing. But you know, for a large part, when owners go into the dressing room, the players they're not they're not either fussed or they don't welcome it. The manager doesn't welcome it. How do you think Eddie Howe will be feeling with with seeing that happen? Because he didn't know anything about it, did he? He didn't seem to know. He saw Eddie Howe separately after the after the players had been spoken to. So, I mean, it's their club. You could you could make one argument and say that it's good leadership from the top and the key personnel are the players. And if um, if they want to give if they want to deliver a message of solidarity and support and uh, and get on with it and we're behind, we're behind you, then that that can only be a boost to the players. But there are some football managers. It depends how, how how relaxed Eddie Howe is about it. I mean, some managers would say, out of my dressing room, that's my domain. I do the team talks. I know the personalities. I know who needs what. You don't interfere. As long as, but my, my argument was, if, if it's an occasional thing at a point of crisis, then that's okay. Um, if they start trying to pick, um, pick the team or, you know, balling out individuals, <laughs> then it's a, diff- a totally different matter and they're, and they're interfering on the football side. And they, they did see Eddie Howe as well. To deliver, I mean, Eddie, Eddie House has a similarly positive message saying we're behind you. Uh, so you would think that it, it was well-meaning. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, but it is unusual. You're right. Ashley did it actually. I think it was the after an FA Cup draw at Blackburn, a really miserable nil-nil when he'd just taken over and Allardyce was in charge. And Ashley went in the dressing room that day, I think, after an FA Cup game, 
And the word came back from people who'd seen it. It didn't look like a man who was going to sack anyone. No, absolutely not. You know, he was in there for solidarity. And then like three days later, Alan Dice got the bullet. So, so you never know what's going to happen. It, it, it does show their concern, though. It does show their concern. Well, we have got a few questions to mention from our listeners. And, and, and one from Sarah was asking about the honeymoon period for Eddie Howard. I'm not at all suggesting that, you know, they've got in and they've they've said that we're, we're backing you because there's some ulterior motive. But, you know, a few people on, on, on Twitter were pointing out that Eddie Howe was not free of criticism for what's happened, not just on Saturday, but over the previous few games. We've seen improvements, but we haven't seen that manager bounce that we usually get with a new manager. So we'll answer that question now. I mean, how long does this honeymoon period go on for? How is he still in it? Has it passed? Well, I think he's still in it, just. Uh, I think people will are now starting to compare Steve Bruce's record with this set of players and Eddie Howe's record. Eddie Howe's got the win, obviously the only win of the season, but they're, they're, not, they're not too different. However, I think you've got to look, you've probably got to look behind the stats and see what Eddie Howe's done in training um, about fitness and about tactics and about changing the style of a team. And that doesn't happen in like two days or two months. Changing a style of a team with a, with a squad who weren't the f- as fit as they might be to get on the front foot. That's going to take time. But we saw like we saw elements of it coming through against Man United. We've seen elements of it coming through against even Man City when they got trounced. But they were up and at it and not just sitting back. And sitting back didn't work. It worked for Rafa when he really disciplined at it. But it wasn't working under Steve Bruce. So he's trying to change style. And I think people can see that. And the results haven't come from it yet. But my theory was that he's tried it out again, bravely tried it out against the top teams and the difficult run they had over Christmas. And when when they come to play the likes of Watford, uh, Watford, Leeds, Everton, the next seven games, then when you're playing against worse defenders who can't handle the ball as much, who you can rattle, who you can get after, I think having drilled it bravely against those big clubs, I think it might pay dividends against the lesser clubs, the clubs around Newcastle who who they now need to beat. So I think that's Eddie Howe might have expected a couple of trouncings over Christmas, but it might pay dividends and we've got to be a little bit patient to see if that change of style of gels works against those teams. Yeah, fingers crossed it doesn't. I mean, there's been a, several kind of interviews with players on several podcasts, the BBC, the Beautiful Game podcast, where they have mentioned the change that Eddie Howe has brought in about the fitness. And there was a, an episode with, with uh, Callum Wilson and Mikel Antonio where he was talking about pre-season. How he said, we, we didn't think we were as fit as maybe you guys. And it, it was it was quite interesting to, to hear those comparisons made between what happened before Eddie Howe came and what's ha- what has happened since. Um, just a final word on Cambridge, Simon. How much damage does that result, performance, do to Newcastle first for their morale going into this Watford game, going into the next few weeks, which is absolutely huge for Eddie Howe when Newcastle United, and also the transfer window? Yeah. I mean, it is damaging, but I think there was a lot of, like, it was an FA Cup crowd there, a classic Cup crowd where people who are normal season ticket holders maybe don't take the allocation. And there's a lot of young people there, a lot of kids watching for the first time liking it. So it's kind of a different crowd. So I think there's a bit, there's a chunk of the of the season ticket holders who've got the league games who won't have watched it and actually won't be as wound up about it as the, me or people who've witnessed it. And it'll be back to normal for the crowd on 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 against Watford on Saturday and they'll be right behind them and everyone knows it's a crucial game and I think the one the one thing that this honeymoon period which we mentioned before you know they've got to cash in on that and they've got to keep it going and 
it's, it's so important that like negativity doesn't return. Murdad Gadusi walked past the press box on um, after the game with Staveley and the Saudis, and, I, and I, he looked and I said to him that was a bit disappointing, just like a gentle comment. And his response was, "Well, we've just got to keep going. We've got to keep going. That's the only way." And I kind of when you're leading a club and when you're, you know, it's okay for us to analyse it and get miserable and angry and fed up and everyone, all fans do that. That's the right of fans and journalists to do that. But when you're leading a club, they literally, they, they, they haven't got time to get down. They've got to learn the weaknesses of Watford. They've got to carry on. So I think the inquest prob- that we've had, that we're having here, probably doesn't cut through into the dressing room. They'll have their own inquest and their own you know thoughts and et cetera. But they've just they've got to get on with it and push on. And you can't you can't wallow. No, we can't we can wallow as fans for a few days, but the players and the ownership who've got to sign players, they can't wallow. And that was the message from from Gurusi when he walked past the press box. And it was interesting that, you know, some owners could get angry, they could lash out, but he was like, Come on, we've got to keep going. We've just got to keep going. So yeah, it is damaging, but it's not a good look losing to Cambridge and being second bottom, third bottom in the league when you're trying to sign all these players. It looks like a risk for people's careers if they're internationals. If you're going to go down to the championship, which is a risk, then what happens to Kieran Trippier's World Cup hopes? What happens to you know Sven Botman? Whatever you know, it, they'll be looking at that thinking, well, it's a bit of a risk. It's a risk worth taking if they get out of the trouble and they stay in the Premier League, and then the club builds again. And then you're in a really sweet situation where you, you've got this positivity, new new players coming in. But that is it. There is a gamble there for players looking to come to Newcastle at the minute. Do you think Eddie Howe would have looked at Saturday and when he is analysing it, he's now more aware of the players, which maybe you know don't fit into what he wants to do? Do you think he learned more about the players on Saturday, maybe the ones he can move on, maybe the ones he doesn't want in his team anymore? Do you think that? Would have been built up over the last few weeks, and you know Cambridge, the performance, you know, will add to that, but it won't have made any significant, uh, you know, difference to his plans going forward. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It will. It will have. Uh, There's some players who've got a chance, like you know, Fabian Shaw was was there and Kraft in the in in at centre back, and I think you know Shaw did a few wild shots, and you wouldn't be surprised. He's an asset, and you wouldn't be surprised if at some point this this sold him. Um, so, I, I, but I think he probably knows that he'll know the limitations of his squad. I mean, everyone who's he'll have watched every Newcastle game this season now, and he'll have analysed it, and he'll know what the players can do and what they can't do. Uh, and it's just a case of getting, you know, getting the max out of the positives that the, the players have got at the minute. That's all he can do. We'll now get on to the transfer window. Just before I do that, I just want to let you guys know there is a chance to win two game, uh, two tickets to the Everton game, which is the first home game after the transfer window closes. Um, I'll pop the link to the competition into the podcast comments. Just click on that. It'll take you through to our website. And it's uh, it's all pretty simple from there. And you will be entered into the draw to win two tickets. And hopefully, you will see a Newcastle side full of new faces. We'll start with, Simon, the only new face so far, Kieran Trippier. Big signing, big signal of intent. I guess in many ways, it made a little bit easier by the fact he wanted to come back from Spain you know he wanted to move back up north as well to be closer to his family he's spoken about you know the personal reasons in, in various interviews so it, it made it a little bit easier but I mean that's a huge sign in England international Champions League experience Premier League experience which is key if you're going to get out of this situation Newcastle are in what did you make or what do you make of the signing? 
it is a really good signing. And even against Cambridge, you could see like the quality he has, the way he was wrapping passes in to the strikers or and putting crosses in, which kind of looked different and looked looked quality compared with what we'd seen before in that position. So I actually think Mankiel is a bit unlucky. He's not he's definitely not been the worst Newcastle player. Um, but he'll be replaced at right back. He might get on at left back. But Trippier is a really good signing. It looked like they it seemed to be on the radar from about late October when every, well everyone knew in the summer that he wanted to come back to 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 the UK. So family reasons. So they've acted quickly there. Or they've acted and they've set that up. But even even getting it done last week kind of took a while. Um which is why you, you fear for the, the future signings that they're, they're going to try and do. It is a good sign. Is he the first current uh, in current England international that Newcastle have had since Michael Owen in 2005? So that just shows how they've not really they've gone down the international route rather than established um, England internationals. It shows, and, and if the deal is 12 million for a current England international, even though he's he's getting on a little bit, uh, that that's an amazing deal. But, I mean, Newcastle are probably playing those fees down so they don't get ripped off at future deals. But he's a great signing. He will add quality. But, you know, Kieran Trippier dinking it round on the right, outside the attacking outside their opponent's box. He needs targets. He needs someone to slip it into. He needs runners. And it was all a bit static at the weekend. You could tell he was quality. You could tell he was trying to calm play down and get the ball knocked around in a more stylish kind of um, domineering way but it just wasn't happening around him and there was a moment I was watching him carefully in the 70th minute where he play just stopped and he, he was cursing you know he, he was really frustrated so hopefully he said a few things in the dressing room about raising standards and wanting to see better and it must have been a bit of a shock to him, uh, the whole the whole experience having you know played with you know played with, you know in the Champions League and and winning the Spanish League last year come to this this it's a very different challenge for him but it's a great signing. It is really good signing. What was really interesting to see was him trying to organise the defence. I mean, I think it was Emil Kraft. I was up in level seven, so my eyes aren't that good. But from what I could see, it was Emil Kraft getting both barrels towards the end of the game because he was just he was just trying to pull him into the position that he wanted him in, so uh, Trippier could go forward and, and do the defending work that was needed. Um, and Kraft didn't seem to understand or wasn't following whatever, but it was it was refreshing to see a bit of voice, a bit of organisation in that backline, which I do think Newcastle have lacked, especially this season. So going forward, hopefully we see more of that. You mentioned there his crossing ability. You know he's absolutely superb when he gets a chance to get the ball into the box. But like you say, Newcastle do need someone to aim for. It was very evident that Sir Maxman and, and Jacob Murphy aren't those players. One man linked is Chris Wood from Burnley. Reports that he does indeed have a release clause, which is maybe why Newcastle are sniffing around there because, of course, Burnley, one of the uh, rivals for survival. It would be unlike uh, a rival team down there to sell players, especially one of Wood's quality, of Wood's importance to Burnley. But if the release clause is there, there's a potential in that. What do you make of that link? It's a really interesting, surprising link. Uh but he is a he is a sort of bustling target man forward who who's quite mobile and puts himself about and he, he's not got a terrible goal goal scoring record. I think saw some stats that it was up there with Callum Wilson in, in recent months, in recent years. So, you know, that, that that's the kind of deal. It might fans who are expecting, you know, massive names to come in and suddenly we're gonna spend fifty million on this position and that position. This is the whole point of this regime is that they're gonna have to build it gradually. 
and I think signing signing Chris Wood or going for him is is kind of a building signing step stepping stones towards where they want where they want to be. And um, I mean, it's a good stepping stone if they got him to to massively weaken Burnley if they can do it because it really would weaken Burnley. It would you know if they, if Burnley let Tarkovsky or Chris Wood go, it's basically their regime saying we've given up now. You know we're not going to we can't stay in the Premier League and that then that's Norwich and Burnley going down Newcastle and Watford battling for the other the other fourth place fourth bottom place so it is an interesting signing it's not it's it's, it's surprising it's probably like a short term fix for a year and a half but it's it's not it's not daft it's it's you know it's there's definitely method in that and if there's a release clause then Burnley might not get much say in it if if unless they renew his contract which you're always suspicious if that's part of the part part of the game. But yeah, Chris Wood, why not? I mean, they're in desperate need of a striker and desperate need of someone with Premier League experience, someone who can hit the ground running. I know he's only scored three goals this season, but you know they, they just need to get a body in and hopefully before Saturday. And I think bringing someone in who's played in the Premier League over the last few seasons is better than going out and spending, for instance, maybe this £30 million that's been touted for Hugo Atekier from Rams and over in France. Um, you know, 19-year-old, he scored a few goals this season. But, you know, you would, if you were a betting man, you would say Wood would probably have a better chance of hitting the ground running than this young teenager from, from France. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie Howe has spoken consistently about wanting Premier League experience. And that's that's what he's after. So to, to sign a 19-year-old who was like fourth choice at Reims a few months ago, who's then come into the team and scored is it eight goals in 17 games. He's the leading teenage scorer in the top five top top five European divisions. So he's clearly a massive talent, but you know, you, you never know whether that's a flash in the pan from a nineteen year old in a in a league where you can show a bit of pace and, and score goals, but it's definitely not as tight tight in defence as, as the Premier League. So paying thirty million for him would be would be a gamble. Uh, and it you know it might come off and let's hope if they do get him it let's hope it does come off. Uh, I mean yeah you know, why not try try and get them both in <laughs> but yeah, it all depends. I mean, we don't know how it would he fit in immediately. He's nineteen. He's from France. How would he settle away from his, you know, the the, you know, the place he's been from when he was in his teenage years? It's a, it is a huge gamble to make that your your main strike signing. I mean, when you're looking at the other people who've been linked, and I mean, Divock Origi is going to have offers from Italy and various other places, but he's said to want to stay in the Premier League, and, and he's he's got a physical presence and he's scored in big games. And you would you would think they might just take off a Liverpool a ridiculous loan fee just for six months, even if he didn't want to stay, commit permanently just to get him because he's he's kind of the and he must he if Origi's got anything about him, well, you know you don't want to sit in the Liverpool bench forever playing six games a year. You want to get out there and prove yourself properly at his age. So you know he'd be the one that I'd be, I'd be looking at as well. Uh, if but you know we're not in charge, and then we don't know the full contract situations and who's saying what behind the scenes. So. It's an interesting time. It's such a tough time, simply for the people having to do these deals. It's a nightmare. Well, I was going to say they're finding out just how difficult it is, even with all that money there. And that, that, that's one of the questions, Simon, is at some point, do Newcastle just pay over the top to get these players in? And, I'm, you know, we've still got a couple of weeks yet, but say if we get to, to the end of next week and we've maybe only seen one other come in, and at that point, did, you, did, did, did those sorting out the transfers go, well... We're still in need of at least three or four others. Maybe it's maybe we do just pay the the, the, 
the asking price, whatever it, it may be. Yes, it's inflated, but do we just take the hit because surviving in the Premier League is, is much more important than maybe paying 10, 15 million over the, the, the asking price? It depends which player you're talking about and how high they are on the scouts and Eddie Howe's wanted list. So Botman, they can't get him out for 35 million. You know, why not go to 42 and, and bust the bank or pay slightly over the odds? Because if he has two good seasons, he might be worth 60 or 70 and on his way to a, like a top four club. So there there are there, there are times where you bust the bank and say, sod it, we've just got to pay this money. We've got to, we've got to blow this deal out. But it depends how much the how much they want these players. So Ekitike, you know, who's just come on the radar in the last few months in France, would you be busting the bank for him? I don't think he would be paying over the odds if you can help it. But someone with a bit more experience and pedigree long-term, you might well do that if you think the team really needs it because 6 million, you know, they're going to lose 60, 70 million in TV income if they go down. So, you know, 6 million investment over the odds is is probably not much if it, if they make the difference in one game and get the three points that are going to separate them from the bottom three. Uh, so you don't do it on every player, but you, there are certain targets which which they should be prepared to do that on. Todd Cantwell is another one who's been linked, the, the Norwich kind of number 10. And I've spoken to a few people down there and there's a belief that Norwich would sell if the right offer came in, which... It's not a case of, I don't think there's a release clause or anything there. It's a case that, yes, if it was the right price, they would sell, which is in contrast to Burnley because there's a feeling Burnley don't want to sell Chris Wood. But as we've mentioned, they may be forced to because there is a release clause there. Is that a, a slight worry in terms of Cantwell? Because you would be thinking, well, surely Norwich, you know, the, the, in the position below Newcastle, bottom of the league, they'd be wanting to keep a player like Cantwell and hopefully turn their season around. I think Norwich are down and, and their, their whole kind of way of working and the business model is to have young players and then flog them at some point and then reinvest and then come up first time of asking when they've been relegated. So at some point they'll have to stop doing that if they want to establish themselves. So it's probably a good club to plunder. Um, Todd Cantwell's had a, I mean, he's had an up and down season. I, I was, you know, he, he looked like a really big prospect two couple of years ago, three years ago, very athletic, gets around the pitch very pacey and full of stamina and combative. Um, I don't know if he's good enough on the ball. That's a doubt about him. But, you know, if you're, if you're building a squad with young players and wanting to raise their value and to develop them, and Eddie, Eddie Howe's probably a good man to do that, then then he might be a good a good, a good good aspect. He kind of, I don't know, Sean, Sean Longstaff, it's kind of a similar kind of position to Sean Longstaff, I think. So... And Sean Longstaff's only got six months left on his contract and there's his futures in doubt. And is he an upgrade on Sean Longstaff? He might be a little bit, but not massively. Uh, it just depends what you want to do with Longstaff, really. And whether Todd Cantwell's got a little bit more punchy pace and sprinting, intense sprinting ability than, than Sean Longstaff, because that might be a little bit of a doubt about, about Longstaff's, Longstaff's kind of physicality. On to the defence then, Botman, the chase for him looks like it's over. Lille don't look like they're, they're budging with their price. They don't really want to sell either. Uh, he's probably going to move on in, in the summer, so there might be another window for not just Newcastle if they do survive, but you know other teams because he is a, a talent. You've got Dio Carlos, but then uh, it's a real, isn't it? They've, they've, had a, they've had an injury crisis over the weekend, so it's yeah. not looking ever... Uh, it doesn't look like they'll probably sell there unless a, a massive bid comes in, but of course, you know, they're probably thinking about um, 
you know their season and trying to continue their good run of form. Where did Newcastle like to go next? Because obviously the striker is the priority. Newcastle needs someone to put the ball in the back of the net. But if Callum Wilson hadn't got injured, it would have been defence where everyone was was looking towards, especially at centre back, because you you look at the defenders there. You know, Fabian Chair for me, there's a reason Rafa Benitez had him down on third or fourth choice on the, on the list. We've seen Kevin Clark make several mistakes this season. Um, you know, Kraft's not a centre back. Jamal Lasalle's a decent captain, but a lot of people don't feel he's the 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 one going forward. Fernandez going towards the end of his career. They need a defender, but where do they go next after these two targets? Well, from what, what we were promised back in October when the takeover happened, they should have the money for both, but we don't know whether whether they did. Eddie Howe said said today, or said that at the weekend, I've done a story on it today, that, that there's no blank cheque and they, ha- they haven't got unlimited funds. There, there is like a limit to what they can spend. And I think, yeah, priorities have shifted because it was obvious on Saturday and to anyone who's followed the club that they need a, they need a focal point striker. Um, they need Wilson back in the next two months. He won't, he's not back for the next eight weeks, so that's a, it's a real blow. So priorities have changed, but I mean, if you can't get a striker, why not stop the goals and go at the other end and get get the deal done? You can get done. And you, you see, I know, like it came out yesterday that Botman the Botman deal was dead and it's stalled, and that's that's all off the on the back burner now. Oh, these hopefully these things change when Lille gets to the end of the transfer window. I mean. Ha, it, these things rarely happen early in a January window. These big deals, the clubs just like look to screw their rivals out, the buying club out of extra money by by you know exploiting a desperate situation and going to the last two days or even going to the last day. I mean, the scramble we see in the last two three days of January is mental, and Newcastle usually aren't involved in it, but they are going to be involved in it this year because you just let it pan out. Lille, Lille don't need to sell him now; they let it pan out. Someone else might come in. The price might go up. They might get six million more. Why sell now? Even though Newcastle want the deal done, want a deal done now. So I'm always suspicious about deals falling falling away, and then the possibility that they could get resurrected. We'll have to see. Yeah, but but it, I do think it's going to be a real struggle to get you know more than one in in the next two weeks because it's January and these deals don't happen early. And the last when when the dominoes start to fall in the last week. Then that's when uh, that, that's when you, you kind of see the action happening, which isn't great for Newcastle because they've got Watford Saturday and then Leeds straight after that, and then then the next game after that is it's like February eighth or in midweek against Everton. So there's a little bit of a gap after that. So yeah, it's it's kind of worrying. I think we're going to have to keep our keep our heads and not panic too much, and it's going to be a bit stressful for fans wanting like a, the, the team change with six signings. On to the midfield, we've got the Spurs midfielder and Dombele. He's been linked with Naldum and Ramsey. Um, I guess these players are all decent players, but they're all used to kind of European football, you know, battling at the, the, the top end of the table. They're not used to a survival scrap. And, it, you know, we've got Trippier in, and I do think him, him arriving will be a big selling point to other potential players. I mean, Wijnaldum, you know, if he is up for leaving and, you know, he knows what Newcastle's all about, he knows the fans. So, I mean, you know, you've got that kind of um, element there. But for the likes of Ndombele or Ramsey, it's not as easy to sell this challenge, you know, to to, to them. But they do need quality. And they're they're the kind of players Newcastle are going to be aiming for, but it's not going to be as easy to to persuade those players to to come to Newcastle this January. No, it's not going to be persuaded. This is the what... You know, the one big big problem they've got is is the league is obviously the league position 
the impact on players' careers if they go down. And one of the ways of getting around that, which has been suggested by people who run the club, is relegation clauses. And we're told Trippier didn't didn't take a relegation clause. But if he's in the championship next year, then they will have to sell him if he wants to go to the World Cup. You know, he can't play in the championship, although Jonas Gutierrez did and played for Argentina and Maradona uh, all those years ago, South African World Cup 2010. But he's not going to get the England team playing in the championship with the three competitors he's got against him. So do they offer relegation clauses? Maybe they do. But Eddie Howe said on, on Friday, he, he doesn't. He hinted he didn't. He can't rule them out completely, but he doesn't really doesn't like them. He wants players to be fully committed and think there's no way out of this situation and that they own this club's responsibility for the destination where this club's going to be next year. And he wants that, that kind of commitment with no no get out clause. So which is right, which is exactly what a manager you know manager should be saying. So that's they're, they're all the issues which are probably going on behind the scenes when they make a bids and discussing discussing contracts. And you know it's hard enough for any any team in the Premier League to to make a signing in January. Never mind if you second, third, bottom, and you've got one win all, all game and the rot is so so bad that you've lost 21 games in a calendar year and you've conceded 80 goals in the, in, in the Premier League in the calendar year. So, yeah, my dog's barking. As you say, your dog's not a big fan of that, that, that stat, I don't think. <laughs> um, well, we mentioned there Endombele and we've mentioned there, you know, Botman, who's a young player, Endombele, there's... there's whispers that his attitude isn't exactly great. I mean, Conte has given him a chance and, you know, he doesn't like what he's seen. He fell out with Mourinho. And it goes into the question about what sort of player on Newcastle are looking for because there's a big debate on social media and it was done when Aubameyang was linked as well. You know, these players, or some of these players, have been cast aside by their clubs reportedly because of, you know, disciplinary issues or attitude issues. And there's no doubt in their quality but there are issues or reported issues over, like we say, their attitude, discipline. So how important is it in Newcastle to get that balance? Do you sacrifice that, you know, those attitude and those the, the discipline for the quality on the hope that it, it fires Newcastle to safety? Or do you think Eddie Howe will, will look at it and be like, well, you know, if he's going to come in and disrupt this, the dressing room, it doesn't matter how good he is, we, we don't want him in Newcastle United. Well, Howe is taking a big interest in the background of players and, checking them all out in detail. And he said on Friday that he's putting in a massive shift. When when players are on the radar, he's then doing the detailed research because he needs to know them inside out. So you'll know character flaws and attitude flaws. But that's kind of the market that Newcastle will be shopping in at the minute. You know, it's only Man City and Liverpool who are buying the actual absolute proven cream who are having no no problems at all. There are often, there have been players in the past who, you know, Sam Maxima had his attitude questioned uh, at his former club in France and I think Vieira said he wasn't wasn't prepared to suffer and put the hard work in to become a top player but Newcastle had taken him and, and worked on it and he's been a real asset so in the tra- that's what the transfer window is there's a reason why usually a reason why you know you, you, a club wants to sell a 20 million player whether he's got a bad injury record he's a bit fragile he's flaky attitude that's what that's what you're dealing with when you're buying a new player you, you're rarely buying cream of the crop Although Kieran Trippier probably is cream of the crop and they've got in for a steal. So there are going to be gambles like that. And it's up to Eddie Howe and a strong captaincy and a strong leadership in, in the dressing room amongst the other players to, to pull them in using all the techniques they've got, whether it's love or, or you know, tellings off or the harsh treatment, whatever, um, just to 
get the best out of them. That's the skill of management. Every player is different. Every player's got their flaws and problems and stuff that's worrying them and holding them back. And the key to management and coaching is is to tap into that and make them feel loved and in an environment that they can thrive. Yeah, one hundred percent. And just before we finish with some questions from my listeners, just a plea to you guys listening to please remember to like and follow the podcast. Totally free to do. Just means every time we upload a new episode, you'll get a notification saying it's ready for you to listen to. And please leave us a review both on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you get the chance. Now, as I mentioned there, we've got a few questions from our listeners, Simon. That's where we'll we'll finish up. Uh, Paul emailed in to ask about Jamal LaSalle's and what the future holds for him, in your opinion, because there has been a lot of talk about potentially switching the captain to Kieran Trippi. I mean, that's mostly been on social media, that kind of talk. But what does the future hold for Jamal LaSalle's in terms of Trippi as a rival and if they do go out and get a couple of centre-backs this January? Well, I think LaSalle's will still be part, unless he wants to move, which I don't think he does. He, he's quite honoured to be captain of the club. I think... Uh, Along in a well-organized, well-oiled defense, Jamal Lascelles can be the can be like the physical, quick centre half who who does the challenging and and you know he's he's the he's the quickest guy they've got there. That's why he's in the team. He's the one he's the one who can sprint and he's got a bit of he's got a bit of um, bit of power about him. So that's why that's why he keeps getting picked and he's in there. He's probably the first choice centre half they've got. And I'd like to see if the, another centre forward, a centre half comes in. I, I would hope it improves him and and kicks him on to be an even better player. If he's not just the leader, there's someone else next to him with loads of experience around Europe, telling him what to do, and they, they can negotiate it together. It might improve him. I would love I would love Lascelles to be to be like an absolute rock at the back, and you know mistakes to be cut out and get more protection and and be a really good player. As for the captaincy, he's. He's kind of got that really young and he's done a good job because he was very vocal when the club went down and it was, you know, five or five years ago. He showed himself to be a leader then and he, and he and he still is now. So, but when you've got, it's not for this season, it's for the summer really. But when you've got someone like Trippier in, if they're still in the Premier League, you can see, you can see there being a challenge definitely from, from Kieran Trippier, not an outward challenge or him demanding it, but you can see the, the coaching team saying maybe we need to freshen this up and take a burden off the cells, let him concentrate on himself and, and give it a trip here. Or anyone else who they might sign who's a who's a big name. Hmm. Um Lorna asks what you've made of the owners so far since since the takeover. I mean, the last time you were on the podcast, it was three or four days after the, the, the deal was complete. So in that time, how have you judged them? Yeah, well, I mean, putting aside all the issues about Saudi Arabia and etc. I think uh, the the owners have tried their best to connect with fans. They try their best to communicate with fans, and I think that's much appreciated. Um, I mean, it it, it 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 does mean something, but it doesn't mean something in in terms of creating a better team or you know getting them up the lead. But it, it it is important that they do that. I think they they are definitely people who have their heart in the right place and that they want to build a club and they're ambitious for it. Now, their ability to do that. And to do it quickly and keep pace with fans' expectations, etc., or our expectations of the media, uh, is yet to be seen. But I, I, mean, I wrote on Sunday in my column in the Sunday Mirror that you know people can't understand why Newcastle fans are, are not having a go at Saudi Arabia, etc. But the, what they're seeing is the front of the club, Stavely, her husband, etc. Uh, I think they, they think their heart's in the right place, and they think they, they they're 
they're trying their best for the club and they want it to grow and they want it to improve. And that was I mean, that's what they thought they didn't have under Mike Ashley. It was just stay in the Premier League, stagnate, not really cared about building it. This lot want to build value, which means investing, doubling the value of the club, getting them up to the top of the league, having bigger sponsorship deals. And that ultimately is going to mean progress. So I think people think that, I think the heart's in the right place. Um, however, they're going to be severely tested in their first January, this window, because even experienced transfer window operators, um, you know, struggle in January. And it's it's strange that they haven't appointed a director of football, having had the club since October the 7th. I mean, you'd think they would need, uh, I mean, I wonder why, I, I would love an answer to why that's not happened. Um, a chief exec's not coming. I mean, maybe they want to run it themselves and be the front and be the communicators. Maybe they like that kind of thing. They want to be in the media and to be the, you know, the kind of kudos of, of running a football club is kind of probably addictive to them. But you, in long term, they need someone like, I mean, Dan Ashworth, England, Brighton. You know, if they if they get him, then they're serious. Then they're serious players, and they're, they're that's that would be a great decision. They need they need other people in there helping them. I guess one thing, the appointment, whoever it might be, director of football, is a crucial one. So you could argue that they're taking the time to make sure they get the right person. It would have been nice to have them in for January and they could have you know, led the, the, the way forward in terms of transfer windows. Because I guess when you do have maybe two, three people at boardroom level, you, you risk having this kind of scattergun approach sometimes and when it comes to decision-making, when it comes to maybe January transfer negotiations as well. And it, it would maybe be better to, be, to have you know, one one single vision. I mean, that might be the case. I'm just, you know, putting out there that there is that risk that you do have a scattergun approach when you've got so many people in the boardroom. Well, it probably is a scattergun approach because they're going to have to cover so many bases to find out who's available and what they're available for and can the deal be done. They probably are calling everyone at the minute in Europe to find out what, or in the last two weeks, to find out what's going on. Uh, and yeah, the boardroom, the Staveley, Gaudusi will have their, their contacts. Jamie Rubin, who's been around football a little bit, will have his contacts and advisors and uh, favoured agents. Uh, and and obviously the transfer guy that brought in will have his ideas. The chief scout's got his ideas. So we, we did ask Eddie Howe about this on, on Friday and he he said he was he will take responsibility for the players that are signed. They might not be his, you know, his number ones. You know, that, that's fine. But it's a he said it was a collaboration between a lot of people. Um, he he takes an ultimate responsibility as the manager. Um, but he was happy at the minute with the way conversations and debates about players and targets were were being had around the club. So as long as he's in the loop and he's he kind of gets the final nod, or if not the final nod, he's not totally against the signing and he thinks he can work with them. That's the main thing. Penultimate question then, and you guys listen, can email in for next week. Uh, the email address is the E-I-B-W podcast at reachplc.com. So that's the E-I-B-W podcast at reachplc.com. And we'll get through the best of the questions in next week's show. We've also got the preview show for the Watford game with, with Gibbo that will be recorded on Thursday. So if you do want to ask Gibbo anything, Throw your questions in there as well. Um, the final, the penultimate one from Tony asks about Martin Dubravka and what you see the future holding for him. He hasn't looked the standard we all know he can be, you know, in, in recent weeks. Of course, he's, he's had the injury and what have you, and he's, he's returned. Is it just him getting back into the swing of things, do you think? Or did Newcastle need to look for a new, new number one, is Tony's question? 
I don't think they need a new, new number one. I think that's way down the way down the priority list. I think you just keep us have these little ebbs and ebbs and flows, and they make they look a little bit insecure sometimes, and then it, it all changes. I, I think Dubravka's good. He was his distribution was great under Rafa, and you know he, he needs to keep that going under 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 Eddie Howe and maybe improve that a little bit. You know, I think his ability to make saves is fine, but the you know he's been injured, so you're going to lose a bit of sharpness and a bit of athletic ability and a bit of bit of reflex when you you've not played for a while. And I think you'll get back up to speed. And I think it's so so low down on Newcastle's priority for buying. And I think he's a great goalkeeper, and he's and he's a he's a noisy leader. He's always shouting. And those those lockdown games with no crowds in, he was shouting all the time. It makes a huge difference. So, you know, I think just trust him and and let him get on with it. The final question from Tune eighty nine asks, "What do you, what you think, Simon? They need this window to survive. Realistically, what do they need? Who do they need to be bringing in? What positions and what have you? And if they get it, can they can they survive?" Yeah, I, I mean, I, th- I think I don't think all is lost. I think it's dead worrying, and I, they need five wins or six wins and a few draws out of their nineteen games left. Um, but Watford. Or, or right in the, in the muck as well. I'm not worried about Burnley and Norwich um, doing massive revivals. I don't think they've got the the capacity to do that in their squad to start beating teams regularly or to score as enough goals. Newcastle need, I think, Watford are the ones, that's where this weekend's so important. You can't lose to Watford this weekend. Preferably you'd beat them and put them under pressure. But they have also got the capacity to win games. So I think, I think it's definitely within their grasp um, I think could be a record low survival total, maybe 27 points even. So, I th- but I think they do need a striker. They might need two attacking players. Uh, I think they need a centre half. And, and if they didn't get anything else beyond that, ideally you'd, you'd also get an enforcing enforcer of a midfielder in. But if they got a striker and a centre half, I wouldn't be too upset as long as they were quality and good buys and you know good money. So two players, if that if they got those in, I wouldn't be panicking because I think they can score goals in if they tighten it up and improve. If they got three or four in, I'd be more confident and it would help if the injuries kicked in. Uh, so yeah, two strikers, a centre-half and an enforcing midfielder would be my, my four priorities. And if they get two or three of those, I think it'll be looking good. But I think they do need, a, they, need they definitely do need fresh impetus as well. Um, but all is not lost and I think it's going to be a nail biter all season, and I think it's a scrap with Watford. And what I think Watford's game in hand over Newcastle is against Burnley as well. So one of those two clubs, someone's going to get something. So that that like difference at the minute at the bottom between Newcastle and Watford is a bit distorted, and it could grow. It is actually bigger than it than it, than it actually showing showing at the minute. So yeah, it's going to be an absolute nail biter. I think we're going to go right up to the last three of the last four games are, are, are against top clubs for Newcastle. So they need they need to be hitting the ground now. Next seven games, they need to get points. They probably need 15 points in the next seven games. So, fingers crossed. It's top It's top half form that they've got to do now. And it's going to be a roller coaster ride. And it's going to be interesting and, and stressful. And, you know, it's going to tear our stomachs out and make us emotional and all that. So, um, But that's Newcastle United. It is indeed. And we'll be with you all the way, Simon, over on uh, with the Daily Mirror, both in print and online, of course, here at Chronicle Live with other likes of Lee Rydan, Kieran Kelly. If you do head over to chroniclelive.co.uk, you'll find a little transfer blog there, which runs every day and will run 
all the way through January, bringing you all the rumours, gossip and concrete stories as well about Newcastle's transfer dealings. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast. My thanks to Simon for joining us on the Everything is Black and White podcast. To you guys listening, enjoy the rest of your week.